is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown, where we give you a holistic view of the world of sports. Whether you're a casual fan or an avid fan, this is the place for you. We're your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Tuesday, June 21st. That is right. We haven't posted an episode in a week. We are sorry, everybody. We had a super busy weekend. We're getting a lot of things moved in and moved out. Matt's wife's mom, I guess Matt's mother-in-law is is moving out of her old place and moving into a new place. And then we had to get a bed frame for our house. It's crazy. There's a lot of stuff that we had to do this weekend. So there wasn't an episode that we got done. It honestly kind of turned out to be good because last night, Monday night, we had game two or sorry, game three of the Stanley Cup finals which the Lightning took 6-2, to two, which was pretty crazy. So we're, we're going to be talking about that. Series is 2-1 right now. And then we're going to be talking a little bit of U.S. Open also. It's going to be kind of stories that we can talk about in general of how the season has gone so far. We're going to be talking about two golfers in particular, and they're probably golfers that, well, it's going to be a little bit of a surprise because we're not even really going to talk about the winner, Matt Fitzpatrick. So, yeah, stay tuned for that. And then third up, we've got a uh, Formula One topic. We're going to be talking about pretty much the the middle of the pack, guys. We're not really going to be talking about Red Bull and Mercedes and Ferrari and all them because we've talked about them enough to this point. And the narrative is kind of the same thing. Max Verstappen is just a beast and wins basically every race. And then we're going to have a an MLB segment at the end that Matt, I'm sure, is very excited to talk about. I'm not. So you guys probably won't hear me talk too much about MLB at the end here. But, yeah, that's what's on tap for today. Matt, on the other end, how are you doing? Well, I'm not I'm not like amped to talk about the MLB, but we kind of have to. Right. We got to service the community as uh, as the as the leading members here on a first down run on podcast because we have baseball fans. Right. I mean, it's going on. It's we're midseason. There's a lot of stuff that's happened. There's also kind of not a lot of stuff that's happened. Um, and, and again, you know, the, the entertainment value is, is a little bit draining. And we're going to talk about a few problems that kind of are contributing to that fact, right? Because that's the thing is that, you know, baseball has lost, pro, you know, popularity among, I guess, I would say probably the younger generation, because, you know, you, if, if you grew up watching baseball and, and, and following it, you still love it. But for people who are kind of other sports fans getting into baseball is just kind of tough. There's just there's just not much going on to begin with. And that's, that's the, you know, that's, that's the regular argument, right? You're going to hear everyone who says, Oh, I don't like watching baseball. There's no action. Well, yeah, that's, that's kind of the, you know, that's kind of the junior argument, but we'll go a little bit deeper as to why even particularly now as you know, which this is kind of the make it or break it time for the MLB for, for all of baseball to kind of be like, we got to get this under control, get our fans back, get new people interested in the sport. And it's almost, even going the other way, right? It's, it's almost it's almost getting worse. Um, so we're gonna say that for the end, though. As Hayden mentioned, we got a other a lot of other things to talk about here. Um, again, huge sports weekend. If you were there to watch it, congratulations. Hopefully, you spent you know your Father's Day uh, right, which uh, should have been you know watching the back nine of the U.S. Open on on uh, Sunday afternoon, and uh, hopefully a lot of you had off on Monday because that was a that's now a federal holiday, and I. No, I sure did. But uh, but yeah, so so lots of stuff going on in the sports world. We're kind of nearing the the middle of the summer here, which is, I think, kind of when we wanted to start doing a little bit of, you know, obviously football preview. But I think that, you know, we're, we're, we're going to get our NCAA um, doomsday series kind of kind of coming up here. Um, pretty much, I would say, you know, we're going to try to wait till the NHL, uh, till the Stanley yeah. Cup is over, um, you, you know, because then it's kind of like that's, you know, the last major sport that is kind of done with its championship right um you'll you'll have golf for the rest of the summer you'll have f1 for the rest of the summer uh but f1 takes like a four or five week break i think coming up here pretty soon um golf there's not another golf major until the open championship which is i think a month from now less than a month about yeah i think it's june july middle of july 14th or 15th or something like that there's gonna be a little bit of a lull and so i'm thinking that kind of maybe right after the open 
uh, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of get into that. But uh, but right now, obviously, we got we got more important stuff to talk about. There's a lot of there's a huge sports weekend. I think, again, like Hayden said, we're kind of do a little bit more of a recap today than, you know, than 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 projections or, or something else. Um, but but I think it, it needs it. Right. I mean, I'm just just talking about everything that happened. And obviously we were there to witness it. We watched it. You know, we have our takes. So uh, so let's get right into it. Yes, sir. That is right. All right. Let's get right into NHL here. So the avalanche and when I was writing this topic, I this was before yesterday's game or last night's game. So pretty much I'm going to have to just go off the dome here for this topic, which is usually what we do. I mean, we we have some written notes down, but we usually just kind of go off the dome for the topics and then obviously just discuss it off the dome from there. But yeah, the avalanche took the first two games of the series of the Stanley Cup final series. They won the first game in overtime. I think it was five, four. And then. They won game two, seven to zero. They blew out the, the lightning in game two. Both of those games were played in Colorado. Game three last night was played in Tampa Bay and Tampa Bay ended up winning six to two. And Tampa Bay just looked like, I mean, it was, it was a perfect bounce back game. If you're honestly, if, if, if you want to, if you want to talk X's and O's here, I don't know what they use in hockey. I don't know if they use X's and O's on offense and defense or whatever, but they probably don't because there's no set offense and defense in hockey. So basically, if you want to talk logistics here, uh, the 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 lightning came back in incredible fashion. I honestly I was not expecting that at all last night. I honestly thought the Avalanche were going to win. They the Avalanche scored, I think, like less than eight. I think it was seven and a half minutes into the game or something like that. And they, they took a one zero lead. And I was like, OK, here we go again. You know, the Avalanche have scored. They scored at least one goal in, in the first period of every game this series, the Stanley Cup series. I Probably every game of, like, the whole entire playoffs pretty much, maybe except for one against the Blues where they lost two games against the Blues. But other than that, yeah, I mean, they've – this is their third loss. Like, this is the Avalanche's third loss of the whole playoffs. Just think about that. They had two sweeps, and then they won the, the first two games of this series, and this is their third loss – that the Tampa Bay Lightning handed them last night, which is insane. But now we're sitting at a 2-1 series matchup here, and I honestly don't really know what to think. I'm going to hand it over to Matt here to talk about it first, and then I'm going to give my thoughts on the Avalanche and kind of just break down how they've been playing in the playoffs so far and if that's sustainable. But I we definitely – and I, I guess just to kind of get this conversation started, we definitely saw them – come out to a very fast start, right? Because they had eight days of rest. The lighting only had three days of rest. So it was clear that the avalanche were a more fresh and B, well, they're just faster all around really, but they were kind of getting to Vasilevsky and it was, it was pretty clear in game two that Vasilevsky, he wasn't off, but there was, there was just something not really clicking. I guess, you know, if you go down by three goals or so, your confidence is kind of low. And so after that third or fourth goal, you know, the goals keep on kind of pouring in and that's exactly what, what happened in in game two. So I'm going to hand it over to Matt here just to kind of talk about his thoughts on the lightning and the avalanche series so far, what he thinks about it and kind of where he sees it going from here. So first I'm going to, I'm just going to Hayden mentioned Andre Vasilevsky, which we have to, because He's been absolutely lights out. He's the reason that the Lightning have done so well and looked so dominant um, all the way through this playoffs so far. He's also the reason that they've been able to capture the last Stanley, last two Stanley Cup championships, right? So he's been a part of this run that the Lightning have been on and, and, you know, part of this quote unquote, you know, mini dynasty, I guess you could say, because um, they're back here again with a chance to win another Stanley Cup final. So, just some stats real quick that are probably going to blow your mind. A lot of you probably heard the first one, which is going to be how Andre Vasilevsky has performed in closeout, well, elimination games, right? So closeout elimination essentially is like not facing elimination, but, you know, on the precipice of being able to eliminate the opposing team, right? He had had in the last, you know, throw, I guess three years combined, right? So two years in a row, they won the championship. And then this year as well, they had eight such occurrences. So eight games in which they were closing out uh, the opponent um, in, in that game. Right. And it could have been, it could have been game seven. It could have been, you know, game six, you know, in the, in the case of the Panthers this year's game four, right. In those games combined eight games, he had allowed one 
total goal, the entire game of all eight games. The save percentage on that is 99.5%. So you got to like, you got to give it to him. This guy is just a beast, right? He shows up when he needs to, he performs like nobody's business and he's out there winning the game for his team. Now you fast forward to obviously kind of as we, you know, we, we were talking about with, you know, you kind of transition to the Rangers side of things, right? So they played the Rangers in the Eastern Conference Finals. We said in the in the Panthers series, which obviously it was only four games, but that whole series, the Panthers only scored three total goals and the Rangers had eclipsed that, passed that. I think they scored four goals halfway through the game one, right? And, and obviously, you know, that series went seven games, but you, you saw it, you saw the transition. The Rangers went up 2-0 in that series and the Lightning came back and won four straight games. And I forgive me, I don't know exactly how many goals uh, Vasilevsky allowed in, in, in those games, but it, it definitely wasn't a lot because they were able to win all of them and he almost had a shutout uh in that game six elimination game which is kind of when a one of those games that would qualify for you know what what kind of the 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 stat that I was kind of just saying there because it was you know they were up three two and so if they had won that game they would eliminate the Rangers and it was 1-0 for most of the game and then and then I think it was 2-0 and then the Rangers got like a you know a goal with like 30 seconds left and so that kind of like messed up his you know insane elimination closeout game uh you know save percentage and all that and so then you go into which, you know, as Hayden and I, you know, kind of kind of said in our, in our preview show, you go into the series against the team that is scoring the most goals that we've probably ever seen in a playoffs before. Right. So, so, so you have this complete opposite you know, matchup of guys who are, you know, just, just off the chain. You have a goalie on one side who's been amazing, you know, lights out for three straight years. And then you have the avalanche who have compiled a team of guys who, you know, as, as Hayden and I were kind of pointing out on the podcast last week, it's like, you can't even follow these guys when you're watching them on TV, they're skating so fast down the ice, you know? So it's like complete contrasting of styles. And we said too, that the key to this series was going to be, Hey, can you control or can you kind of, you know, whichever team was able to kind of control the tempo and make the other team play to their strengths uh, and, and, and kind of negate their strengths, uh, the opposing team strengths, that would be the biggest advantage for, for, you know, for the team that was going to end up winning this series. And so we saw, you know, game one. Yeah, it was it was pretty bad. Right. But again, it's you know, it's it's game one. And we've learned, too, with the lightning over these over these past you know three years now is that. Game ones, they really don't perform that well. They, they never really play that well, especially on the road. And that's almost like an advantage, I think, to them is, is kind of they, they they're they're so built on reacting, right? So so taking what a team does, looking at you know holistically what how the game went, and then being able to make adjustments, make changes in their game plan based on what they think the other team is or is not going to do. In this case, though, they followed it up with a game two that was one of the worst Stanley Cup final games we've ever seen, right? On the case of the Lightning, it was probably the best uh, that we've seen, you know, for, for, for the Avalanche. But nobody expected them to lose seven to nothing. I mean, that is like what? Like they didn't even score a goal, right? Um, and, and, and so you kind of get to this point where you're like, wait. So all of this stuff that I just mentioned about Andre Vasilevsky being, you know, this amazing goaltender throughout the playoffs and, you know, leading them to championship after championship. And then every time they get into that, that one spot that if you lose the momentum switches and the other team can very much easily take control of the series. He always said, no, thank you. I will, I will not let you score any goals. And I'm, you know, and, 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 and the lightning ended up closing out the series in pretty much all of those accounts. And, and so then you get here and you're like, well, well, how is that going to work? Well, it, it didn't really for, for the lightning, at least um, in the first two games. And then we got to game three and what do we have, you know, a, a blowout win, um, you know, by the, by the lightning. And so you, you kind of really see obviously home, you know, home ice is, is very important throughout the playoffs, but especially in the, in the, in the Stanley cup final, because every game is going to be sold out. Like that entire city is behind their team, willing them to victory. And they're also, it's, it's the last major sport playing, right? So when you had the NBA finals going on, or, you know, the, you know, you're late in the playoffs in the NBA and then, you know, you're like second round of the playoffs in the NHL. If you have two, if you have two, two kind of, you know, 
teams in those sports from the same city, well, you know, the the the, the city is most likely because basketball is more popular. You know, they're probably going to go to the basketball game before they go to the hockey game, right? But now it's like you have like this is this is the this is the championship, right? So so everyone's going to be there. So I think home ice is extremely you know extremely important. Um, but but I think that it it I think we did see that that kind of classic lightning mentality where okay, you kind of got throttled in the first two games, right? But it's how do you respond? How do you bounce back? What do you change about your game plan that you kind of, you know, either didn't know that you were going to have to change or you were completely going reactionary. Hey, let's take two games in Colorado. Let's figure our stuff out. And then let's come out firing in game three, which is exactly what they did. And so the question now becomes like, hey, this is actually kind of working out to be like a really good series after we thought, you know, two games in the avalanche, were going to absolutely roll over the lightning. This could have even been a sweep, but no, I think, and, and, and I think the coolest part, and this is where I'm going to end here. I think the coolest part about this whole, you know, kind of the, the storyline surrounding the Stanley cup final so far is that you have two games in which the avalanche again, completely just dismantled the light, right? Blowouts both times. And you're like, how are they going to recover from this? And the way they recovered was they blew out the avalanche. The lightning did right. When they got their home ice, they're in game three. It's, it, you know, backs against the wall. If they lose game three and the avalanche go up three Oh, it's basically over. Right. So, so this is a, this is a game. This is a must win game, especially when we're talking about the Stanley cup finals, and here's the thing, if they had won, you know, if the Lightning had won that game, you know, two, three to two, right, or or it had gone to overtime and they, you know, they pull out a, a one goal victory, even if it was like six to five, like, wow, you know, that was still a really close game. You know, what's going to what's going to happen from here on out? Are the Lightning going to be able to kind of, you know, continue that momentum and actually win game four? while kind of the Avalanche still have a lot of momentum. But I think the best case scenario for the Lightning was blow them out right and so now we kind of end up with a situation where none of the games have been competitive but each of the teams have really been able to show their strength so i know that's not really me coming on here and, and, and giving a huge you know a huge argument for either side i just think that it makes for a good kind of you know it, it makes for good entertainment value at least kind of going back it's like really what is going to happen in game four because it's kind of the same way where and i say this every time people say game five is oh the pivotal game five it's the most important game in terms of like who wins the game, yes, because then you have a three, you know, you're, you're up three games or, you know, you have you won three. Someone, one team has won three games after game five, right? But game four completely switches the the, the series, you know, can, can, can flip a series on its head because you think about this. If the Lightning win, it's 2-2. Two, two. We're going back to Colorado, you know, likely at this point, you know, unless we get a crazy road win, probably going to a game seven. But if the Avalanche win and they go up 3-1, it's almost guaranteed that the Avalanche are going to win the series because they only have to win one more game. So it's going to be really cool to see who wins game four. And if, again, if the Lightning go out there and blow out the Avalanche, it's going to be like, okay, these teams are completely even now. So, so that whole seven to nothing thing, we can forget about it. Um, so, so yeah, so those are my thoughts on it. I think that there is a lot to still be decided here, but I'm glad that it's kind of, you know, it, it you, you've gotten, you've seen both teams perform to their absolute best capabilities. And that's what you'd love to see in the Stanley cup finals. It's going to be the question of who's going to actually be able to pull it out. Yeah. That's, uh, that, that's a great overview of, of how the, the flow of the series uh, so far has kind of affected each team and has, has come from each team, I guess is more of what I'm trying to say, but I'm going to give you a little little rundown of how the Avalanche play and how how the Lightning react to their play because I think that's really important to take into account because the Lightning if you watch the Lightning I mean they're they're a very good team and they do rely a lot on Andre Vasilevsky and he again he is he's proved that he's basically one of the best if not the best goalie in hockey right now. I think that Shesterkin actually won the um the best goalie award. I forget what it's called, but I think he won it today. It's just starting yeah, to won won. tonight. Yeah, exactly. But Andre Vasilevsky is still out there saving 99.5% of goals on in crunch time, which is crazy. So yeah, I mean, huge, huge shout out to him, but I think that the way, and we, we've talked about the avalanche and how they play fast in the past, but I think the way that the lightning react to it, and especially in these first two games of the series, again, the third game is different and I'll, I'll get to that why it was different, but in the first two games, if you watch those games, especially game two, but even in the first one, when the, the lightning were still in it until the end, you know, went into overtime, whatever, even in that game, 
the what the Avalanche do is they basically if if the puck is in the offensive end, if the puck is in the Lightning's zone, as we call it, past the blue line, near the Lightning's goalie is is what I'm referring to. If I say the offensive zone for the Avalanche or Tampa Bay's own zone, that's what I'm referring to. If the puck is in that zone, then the Avalanche are all over it. And again, that's it's something that you don't really see a lot, or you don't. It's not really common in hockey because a lot of times what you'll see is like you know the two defensive men pack, passing it back and forth in their own zone, and then there's one guy kind of pressuring them, but not really. If there's you know if the if the puck gets sent down all all the way down the ice to the other end, you don't really see guys rushing to the puck as much. But with the with the with the avalanche, it's like you have basically three guys at all times in the offensive end trying to get the puck from the lighting. And the way that they do it is basically the lightning, if they have the if they have if they have the puck in the um in the icing zone, which is like basically from the the goal, the goal post behind the goal post to the boards, basically. It's like that little striped area that you see. If the puck is in that zone, the lightning only have maybe like three options of who to pass to or three passing options from that point on. And the avalanche know that. So they take advantage of it. They go and try to intercept the pass almost every single time. I saw it in game two. It happened almost every single time the puck was in the lightning zone. The avalanche were basically just trying to cut off every single pass possible. And they were able to do that and just basically create havoc, right? And create chaos. And one thing that you do not want for a hockey goalie in any case is chaos in front of the net or basically any kind of chaos in their own zone. Because if, if the, if the goalie gets confused and we, we see it all the time, like deflections when, when there's a slap shot from near the blue line and there's deflection off of, off of a guy's stick. And there's a lot of confusion in front of the goalie's face. He can't see the puck. And all of a sudden the pucks in the back of the net, right? There's so much confusion when the avalanche, put pressure on the lightning and they're so fast it's it's hard to keep track of them obviously that's you know that's a given and so Vasilevsky's sitting there and he he has essentially like no not no help but he, he he essentially just has no bearing on what's going on around him and so you know even the best goalies in hockey aren't going to be able to track that aren't going to be able to follow whatever's going on and that's how the avalanche get such big leads in these games. Right. And obviously, you know, the lightning got a huge lead in, in, in game three and they, you know, they took it and ran with it. And I think that, well, <laughs> okay, I'm going to, I'm going to leave that in there. Cause that was really, really bad. <laughs> it's a voice crack story right there, but yeah, I think that in game three, what happened was, and I, I'm not just saying this just to kind of prove a point. I I'm saying it cause I watched the game and I actually saw this. I saw the avalanche when they were in the offensive zone, they weren't really moving around that much. They weren't flying to the puck. Maybe they're getting tired because they don't have eight days of rest in between games. Now that the series has actually started and they're playing every other day, but yeah, they, they don't seem to be flying to the puck as much in Tampa Bay. Again, it's only been one game, but when they were in Colorado, it was just a whole different vibe. And you could tell that they obviously were hyped up off of the crowd's energy is what I'm trying to say. So obviously they were hyped up off of that. But I think that in Tampa Bay, what they need to do in game four is do exactly what they've been what they've been good at and what they didn't do in game three. Right. In game three, it, it just seemed like the energy was a little bit low and, that, you know, that that's not going to work. Another thing that happens to the lightning when the avalanche attack is the lightning starts to play scared. And I think that, you know, a couple of the commentators and, you know, Sean McDonough and whoever else is, is commentating these games. I think, that, you know, those guys said it best in, in the first two games. And they were talking about basically how the lightning, like, like once you get the lightning scared, they like any other team, they'll play scared and they'll play defensive. Right. So when you usually have, if you're attacking, usually in hockey, it's, it's best to have like three guys on the attack at, at any, at any time, you, you basically have like two front guys that are that are there. One guy has the puck and then he can pass it over. And then there's usually a guy that's a little bit farther behind, but he's still kind of on the attack with them. And, he, and then he can get the rebound if there's a shot. And he, he can follow up with the rebound or whatever. That's like the best kind of scheme to have when you're on an offensive attack in hockey. Now, the lightning 
in game in game two, I don't think there was one time when they had three guys attacking at once in, in the game. They they only had two guys attacking maximum every time. And that's because they were so scared of the avalanche who create so much chaos in their own end that they had bring they had to stay back with three defensive players almost at all times throughout the whole game. And so if you it not only do the Avalanche create chaos and the opposite end, but even in their own end, they're not even having to deal with that as much because the, the lightning are staying back in their own end or they're only sending two guys to attack. Right. So that's just how it goes in terms of kind of the the game flow if the Avalanche are actually playing to their strengths and are, are attacking at all times. Again, it's not a good thing to be one dimensional and, on, and be a, you know, strictly attacking team, but you're not going to have Darcy Kemper make the the saves that Andre Vasilevsky's making. So you might as well go all out on attacking. And, you know, if, if the lightning get a couple goals off of you in transition, so be it. But I think they're better off just staying super, super aggressive. And I think in game three, they stepped off the gas a little bit and that's not what I think they, they probably realize now that that's not what they need to do. They need to keep the gas on all the time, 10 toes down. They can't, they can't let off the gas because we saw what happened in game three when they did. So yeah, that's just kind of a little, uh, little rundown of, of how the avalanche play and how they need to play in order to win the Stanley cup finals. Again, I'm kind of rooting for the avalanche just because we've seen the lightning win the past two. So it is, you know, it it, it wouldn't it, it would be cool to see them win again, but I think it would be a better story for the Avalanche, especially because they've kind of been waiting for this. Like they've they've kind of built up this team to the point where, yeah, they've got a heck of a squad that they're playing with right now. And in order to use this squad to your fullest potential, you need to do what you do best, and that is attack and keep the lightning to you know only attacking two guys and keeping three guys back that's exactly what they need to do i think in game four they're going to do that and i don't know if they again like matt said if they take game four they're probably gonna win the series because they only have one more game to win after that and then they have two games at home after after game four so yeah that's my thoughts on it matt do you have anything else not really but i do think that that was kind of a good way of you know hopefully you guys kind of got that, that kind of full breakdown, right? So I kind of gave, you know, the general, right, here's how the series is lining up. Here's what kind of the, 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 the you know, the causes and effects are, the consequences, all that stuff. Um, but then I think Hayden did a good job of kind of getting, getting really down and down and uh, gritty with the, you know, with, with the hockey inside talk, because it's, it's true. It's, that's, the style of play is, and we said this from the beginning, style of, style of play is the most contrasting thing about the Stanley Cup Finals and what makes it the most interesting, right? And we've seen that play out. And I think that's kind of the coolest part, as I said, is like you have these, you know, ex- insanely contrasting styles, but weirdly enough, you've ended up with three blowouts and both teams looking like they could win it all, right? And that's what you yeah. really want at the end of the day. So we're going to transition to the U.S. Open now. Matthew Fitzpatrick ended up winning his uh, winning the U.S. Open this weekend, uh, and that's all great and dandy. But perhaps the bigger stories were Will Zalatoris and Scotty Scheffler, who each had at two stroke leads on the back nine, um, each of them. And and obviously Scotty Scheffler, you know, has has won a lot this season. Will Zalatoris has never has never won on the PGA Tour. Um, Zalatoris has come incredibly close to winning so many majors, uh, but he hasn't. Uh, and surprisingly enough, like I said, he doesn't even have a PGA tour win yet. And, and so I think, and just to kind of, you know, give out the numbers here. So Will Zalatoris has now played in nine major tournaments. He, no, hold on eight. He's played in eight major tournaments and he's finished in the top 10 in five of the eight majors he's played in. That's crazy. And it's one of those things that like you, the majors are the hardest ones, right? But somehow he's able to just get in there, find a groove and, 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 and get working but the crazy part is like, as you know, as I mentioned, he's not really in contention in any of these other, you know, any of these other PGA tour events, which, Hey, if you're going to win a golf tournament, you might as well win a major, right? Because that's, that's the, those are the ones that count. Those are the biggest ones are the most money, everything like that. But at the same time, it's like almost weird how he's, he's like not even, you know, putting up any competition in these, in these smaller, you know, these smaller events. And then he's just always there, you know, when we get to the weekend of a major um, he's coming second, he came in second solo second in last year's major or last year's masters uh, to Hideki Matsuyama. He came in solo second 
at the PGA Championship this year, losing in a playoff to Justin Thomas. And then he came tied for second in this year's U.S. Open, obviously, um, this past weekend to, to Matt Fitzpatrick. So you, you add that up and it's like, dude, this guy. And I think last year he came, he was like top, he was like tied for sixth, the U S open the year before that he was tied for ninth at the PGA. Um, it's, it's been, you know, it's been, it's been a crazy whirlwind for, for Zalatoris here who just keeps getting his heart broken. And so kind of the question here is, you know, and, and you know, we'll, we'll both kind of give an answer here, but I think it's a good one is, you know, kind of, if we're going to look at Zalatoris and kind of compare him to a lot of the successful younger golfers in the past, like Jordan Spieth, Rory McIlroy, McElroy, guys who now are kind of, you know, seasoned veterans on the PGA tour, but guys who had extremely, you know, a lot of early success at a very young age, how does Will Zalatoris stack up? Peyton? Well, I'm going to go and give you a little stat here. And this is, this is kind of, it's cool because Will Zalatoris and Scotty Scheffler are very alike in this category. It's just that Scotty Scheffler wins tournaments. So basically Scotty Scheffler and if, you know, we haven't really gotten to this yet, but hint, hint, we're going to be talking about Scotty Scheffler being the winningest golfer in one season in terms of monetary value or in terms of money that there ever has been in any single PGA tour season. So he has taken that, trophy right now but Will Zalatoris on the other hand is now he he just broke the record by coming in tied for second in this past U.S. Open for being the winningest golfer in terms of monetary value um, in terms of a player that hasn't won or that hasn't won any or hasn't come in first in any PGA Tour event or any major event across the whole season so essentially like I think he's made upwards of $6 million this, this year. And he hasn't even won yet, which is crazy. It's like, he's made so much money and he hasn't even won, which is great. I mean, that's, that's what we're looking for because again, if you're consistent and you're good enough to be finishing top 10 and, you know, finishing second solely second in, in the PGA championship in the first major and then the second major, you're, you know, you're finishing tied for second. You deserve to be winning this kind of money. I think, both Scotty Scheffler and and Will Zalatoris each took home a, a like seven, I think uh, one million, one point seven million dollars or one point five million dollars or something like that, just from the U.S. Open, just from coming tied for second in the U.S. Open. So that's again, that's that's a huge allotment of money that's going to both of them just for coming in second. But again, Will Zalatoris hasn't won, and so I think that the well, not I think that obviously there's there, there's a distinction here between Will Zalatoris, who is only 25, and guys like Jordan Spieth and Rory, Rory McIlroy, who were both winning tournament, you know, had huge winning sprees and had huge, I guess, winning streaks at very young ages at the kind of 25 range that, um, well, I think Jordan Spieth had his winning streaks at like 21 or 22 yeah, or he something. Was super young. Yeah, it was. Yeah, he was very, very young. I think. Rory McIlroy was more in like the 26, 27 range when he had his big winning uh, streak there, but in like the 2012, 2014 era. But yeah, I think that Will Zalatoris is, I mean, obviously he's not to that point yet. He still has a couple of years until he gets to that kind of Rory age, that prime Rory age. And so I think we'll see him whatnot. I think he'll definitely win a tournament. If, you know, if, if he doesn't win for the rest of the season, we'll, he'll definitely win probably sometime early in next season. We'll, we'll probably see that happen. I mean, I would be very surprised if he doesn't. But, yeah, he's becoming one of those guys. I mean, I think he's ranked 12th in the world right now. And, again, he hasn't won a tournament ever, which is crazy to think. Like, he's the 12th-ranked golfer in the world, and he hasn't won on the PGA Tour or a major, or a major championship at all. So, yeah, I think in terms – we can't really – compare compare uh him to Jordan Spieth especially because Jordan Spieth won at such a young age and he won you know so many tournaments and so again I don't I don't think that we can compare him much to Jordan Spieth but I think he's going to be more like Rory McIlroy who and I don't know how Rory McIlroy was before he started winning because again I didn't I didn't watch golf like at all back then because well I was 10 so <laughs> it's kind of tough to follow golf when you're 10 if you're not an avid fan and I wasn't an avid fan back then but I know that when Rory started winning he was kind of one to two years older than than Will Zalatoris is now so again I think from here on out we'll 
it, it, it'll be interesting to see what Will Zalatoris does and if he does start winning. But again, I think that right now he is definitely, you know, definitely kind of gearing up to be one of the one of the great young golfers in the game right now. And, and again, I think Scotty Scheffler is also 25. So we can kind of get some co- comparisons there um, in terms of how Scotty Scheffler is doing right now. But again, Scotty Scheffler is kind of out of everybody else's league at this point. He's number one in the world right now. And he's won, I think, five tournaments between majors and PGA Tour events this year. So he's just, yeah, he's in his own league. So I think that it's safe to say that Will Zalatoris is – is definitely going to be some, you know, someone that you have to keep your eye on in the future uh, in terms of, you know, winning tournaments, because even though we haven't seen him win up to this point, I think he will do so in the future soon. So my thing with Will Zalatoris is it, it's what he's in one of those situations where or he it just kind of the, the circumstance that he finds him in based, I know, based on how he's performed, whatever, is almost like one of those places where you're kind of like every single time he goes out for a major he does so well and he's in the lead or he's the favorite to win or, or what you know whatever circumstance it may be and then he loses and it's just a heartbreak right and you see this a lot right with guys who just if you're in contention and you got it and then either you you know you you, you give it up or you have some you know bad shot or someone else just comes and takes it from you whatever it may be it's 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 almost like one of those one of those like heart wrenching moments where you're just you're scarred and you're never able to get back and it's just you know keeps happening or it happened once or whatever it may be and you just can't ever pull through and actually you know make it happen like I think a good example of this is going to be Mito Prayer obviously so Mito Prayer was you know winning the PGA Championship by two strokes on the last hole he shanked the driver he doesn't even end up in the playoff right and so he should have won he should have won the PGA Championship Mito Prayer should have won Obviously, he's like 23. He's going to have a very long career ahead of him. And if he wins a major, great. But I think just based on what happened, I could definitely see that being in a scenario where it's like, if he's ever in contention again or, you know, up near the top of the leaderboard, he's always going to think about that moment when he had it won and then just completely lost it. And so, like, I think I'm kind of using those comparisons as to say, like, I don't think Mito Pereira is going to ever win a major, right? I mean, obviously, that's pretty easy to say because it's very hard to win a major. And so I'm not making a proclamation by saying that. But I think more of what I'm saying is, like, I can see how it's gotten a lot you like the way that he you know the way that his mind his mind is going to play tricks and all this stuff it's like when you have such a heartbreaking moment like that especially in golf because it's so hard to just be consistently good you're not going to be able to do it again or you're not going to be able to convert the next time you are given the opportunity i think will zalatoris is the opposite though i mean obviously you know that that, that, that goes without saying because of how well he's performed at every single major despite always coming in second, always coming in third. And the thing is too, I don't think he's necessarily blown it ever, right? I think he's just kind of been in the wrong place at the wrong time. And like, he's just not really able to make, you know, the putt, which, I mean, that's kind of the, you know, the, 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 the kind of the bad part of his game to begin with. He put amazingly this week. So don't let anybody tell you that he's, oh, he sucked at putting just because he missed a 14 footer on 18 to tie it and send it to a playoff. No. Okay. He's got it. He's fine. He, he putted well. He'll, he'll continue to work on that. That's the only part of his game that he needs to improve and he'll be back. I think that's the thing is that he, he's, he's, he's gotten a lot of these major championships kind of taken from him. Right. I mean, Hideki Matsuyama, basically, you know, he went, he almost went wire to wire at the masters. Nobody was, nobody was beating Hideki that week. Right. Right. Justin Thomas at the PGA. Justin Thomas won the PGA five years ago in 2017. Okay. He's been there. He's done it before. He's won however many tournaments since then as well. He's got it. So when you go into playoff with a guy like JT, you, you know, you're pretty much up against some very significant odds and you've never been to this course before and all this stuff. JT's probably going to win that. Right. Um, there was a, uh, Earlier this year, Tory Pines, I think it was the uh, the Farmers Insurance Open is always at Tory Pines every year. It's in like February or something. It's in California. And Will Daldoris, again, was in a playoff with Tom Hoagie, right? To win the to win the to win the farmers at Tory Pines. And it's like, who's gonna come out on top? Well, Tom Hoagie made an insanely long putt and Will Zalatoris is like, all right, I, you know, he like laid up on a shot or whatever. I don't I forget exactly what it was, but it's like another time where he kind of just like the guy who beat him 
really, really did beat him. And I think that's a, that's a perfect segue to kind of just talk about how Matt Fitzpatrick did that exactly. Um, you know, th- this weekend, he had the 48 foot putt on 15. He had that amazing shot out of the bunker on 18. That's completely saved, you know, save the tournament. If he would have hit that, you know, off the green, he we, Will Zalatoris would be winning the U S open right now. Right. So it's like not things that Will Zalatoris has been able to control. It's just kind of like everyone around him is just having like the shot of their life. And that's kind of the reason that he loses. So I think that just based on the fact that he's just always been able to kind of get back and just show his stuff and just do it, I think he'll be able to get back and, and, and eventually he'll eventually win on the PGA Tour. I don't know if he'll event, you know if he'll be winning you know multiple majors or anything, but but yeah, I think just the, the style of his game is very fitting towards the majors. And he's done well, and obviously right, he's made he's made plenty of money. So that's that's kind of my thing with Will. I think he's he's in a good spot. He'll just kind of have to wait uh, wait his turn. And 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 like Hayden mentioned, Jordan Spieth and Rory McIlroy, those guys are in a league of their own because those are examples of guys who, and I think both of them, th- those are really the only examples. I think um, obviously Tiger Woods is in his own discussion, but like those are the guys that are that won like like several majors by the time they were like 25, right? Will's out towards 25 right now. Rory and, and Jordan Spieth, I think already like were close to the career grand slam by the time, by the time they were 25. So those are guys that are like, were extremely elite, like right out of college before they even graduated college. Um, you know, and, and so it's a little bit of a different, of a different, kind of, you know, stratosphere when we're talking about Will's out towards, but I do think he'll get back. He'll be able to do it eventually. And Scott Scheffler, as Hayden mentioned, I mean, it's just, he's, he's won so much money because he's won so many tournaments. Right. But, um, but, but it, it shows how, you know, how good of a golfer he is. And I think that was kind of the one thing that going all the way back to the first win that he ever had, which was his first win this season, which was the first of many wins this season. It was the, it was at the, uh, the uh, waste management Phoenix open, right. And in, in Arizona and, and we saw him kind of steal that tournament. It was in a playoff with, um, I think it was Patrick Cantley, and you're, everybody's thinking, "Oh my God, you going to play off Patrick Cantley?" As much as as much as Patrick Cantley is weird to look at, and whatever he has his like weird happy feet thing when he goes to putt, um, he is a killer, man. He's cold, and so when you go up against him in a playoff, you're like, "All right, yeah, he's got this." Well, he's Scotty Scheffler's just choked away every opportunity he's had so far. He's not going to win this, and then he does, right? And then he goes on to you know one of the best streaks we've ever seen. Um, and so, but again, young guy, I think he's going to have to prove it, right? If he if he has one great year. All right, but you know, but we got to see this kind of, you know, we got to see this performance continue. And I think we will because he's been hanging around in all the majors, and you know, there's still obviously ten, I think ten PGA Tour events to go, and he's already he's already broken the record for the most money made, and obviously that's gonna go uh, go up even more. Um, and maybe a, I don't know, maybe a tease preview. I don't know, but um, the PGA tour in kind of in rival to the live tour has now announced that like, it's like doubling or tripling a lot of the purses, like the total money they're paying out for a lot of these, a lot of these uh, tour events for next year. So the money thing is kind of going to be almost not for not, uh, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a couple seasons here, kind of like what the quarterbacks and all the football records did, you know, or, or is going to happen with the 17th game now uh, in the regular season. So um, yeah. So that's it for golf, kind of a lot, but I think that, you know, talking about some guys who have kind of just, you know, either seen their star shine or have the ability to do that. Um, But let's go on to F1 now. The Canadian Grand Prix uh, returned to the calendar for three-year drought due to COVID procedures in Canada because for the last however long, they haven't had the race there. And, you know, it's whatever. Canada did their thing and they didn't want people to come and so that's fine. But we're here again, right? Circuit Jill Villeneuve, as I mentioned on the last podcast. The results weren't too crazy at the top. Obviously, as Hayden mentioned, Max Verstappen won. Carlos Sainz actually competed this time. I know Hayden's been a big a big hater on Carlos Sainz this year, um, but he showed his stuff. He actually stuck within a second of Max. He you know he, he competed the whole race and and he you know he he had a chance to pass him on the you know final ten ish ten ish laps there. But obviously you know Max is in a fast car as well. But I think kind of what I want to talk about here is the rest of the pack, right? And 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 so just to kind of you know for for not the in, you know insanely serious F one fans here, you have the big three at the top which is red bull ferrari and mercedes those are the, the, the three best teams they've been the best teams for the you know the better part of 20 years now um you know th- those are the teams that are always competing for the championships whether that be the driver's championship or the constructor's championship and then you have what everybody always coins the term as the best of the rest right which is the rest of the teams and then you know, whoever is able to be the best of the rest of those teams is kind of like maybe the next up, right? It's, it's, it's almost like a very, it's a big honor to be the best of the rest because everybody knows you're not going to be able to reach the top three, 
but being in contention consistently and, and kind of being, you know, in, in you know, the, the better team of the rest of the pack, you know, the, the other you know, seven teams is, is a pretty good, is a, you know, is, is a, is a, is a pretty good thing. Um, and so kind of what we wanted to talk about was what teams have surprised so far under the new regulations, obviously, you know, the cars have changed a lot um, as well as teams that are underperforming their expectations. Um, I'm going to throw one out here right now and then I'll hand it to Hayden. A team that has significantly underperformed their expectations is McLaren. I don't know if you're going to talk about them, Hayden, but I mean, it's just, they, they were terrible like three years ago. Well, first of all, Lewis Hamilton actually won his first driver's championship with McLaren back like almost 15 years ago now. So McLaren used to be one of those like best three, top three um, competitors. And then once kind of the, the, the rule change, I think of like 2013 or whatever, whenever Mercedes began to get good, basically um, McLaren went way down and they've been down kind of ever since. And then last year, I mean, they were the brink of like not even being in Formula One anymore. And then last year um, they just magically something something clicked and, and and they were the best of the rest right so they came in fourth in the constructors championship they had a lot of hype going for them obviously um you know lando norris is, is one of the best young drivers uh you know in, in the field and daniel ricardo has had a lot of this a lot of success at red bull he had success at renault before this um and he's a very proven veteran driver in f1 as well and they really put it together but this year it's just been bad now they're still fourth in the constructors championship but it's one of the situations where they we're expected to kind of be competing with Mercedes, especially with how much Mercedes has been struggling. And it just hasn't even been close to that. I mean, they, they, you know, they're, they're almost on the brink of being passed over by Alpine. Um, so, so I think that's kind of where I want to talk about McLaren a little bit is like, it just is, it just is not really working out. And I think Lando is, is, is clearly the better driver uh, in that, in that garage as the, uh, as the, as the British people on the broadcast say, um, and Daniel Ricardo just is just bad. And, and Hayden has mentioned this before in the podcast too. It's like, it just looks like he doesn't even want to, race anymore like he's just out there for fun and and he's just smiling all the time and if it's like okay if i come in 12th i don't really care and it's like dude this is like the most competitive racing circuit you know league in the entire world you got to have some competitor in here right i mean you've won races before you've been in contention for the driver's championship like come on so um that's a team that i think for me has really under underperformed and whether it's you know car issues or or just driver motivation i'm not exactly sure what it is probably a combination of both to be honest um definitely expected a lot more uh from from McLaren but uh Hayden give me a team that you think is 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 kind of surprising so far doing a lot better than you thought yeah well first of all going back to the little Daniel Ricardo thing there Daniel Daniel Ricardo is definitely the type of guy to come in like 18th in a race and just be like okay well at least I'm still cute anyway well yeah so for one team that I think is 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 surprising this year and this is kind of just going off of uh preseason rankings when compared to the rankings or constructors rankings right now. And that is Alfa Romeo. Alfa Romeo is actually surprised a lot this year. They, their preseason rankings were ninth. So they were, they were projected to be the ninth ranked constructors championship team, I guess um, this year. And right now they're in sixth in terms of the, the rankings. So obviously again, you know, sixth isn't great, still kind of bottom half of the pack, but they were supposed to be like, lowest of the low right above Williams who I think was projected 10th and they still are 10th so <laughs> yeah Williams is kind of bringing up the, the rear there but I was actually looking at something the other day and it was like it was a pretty cool article it was it was actually the top 10 race or top 10 Formula One teams of all time and there was I think there was like four on there that I had no idea even existed because they were teams back when I didn't even follow Formula One but you know, number one was Ferrari, and then number two was I forget what number two was. Oh, number two I think was uh, was Williams. I'm pretty sure, and it was like what? <laughs> like Williams is number two, and they, I guess they used to be pretty good though. They were they like were, yeah, like 1990s. Yeah. They were like yeah. they were like the Red Bull of the 1990s. They like they were the best team. That and that's why they still technically are in Formula yeah. One based on you know how much they've sucked. It's like they kind of just deserve the position. Like they're always going to be in Formula One just because of the history. So that's kind of how it works out. Yeah, exactly. But back to Alfa Romeo. Yeah, they've they've really impressed. I mean, they so so they have Valtteri Bottas and Guan Yu Zhou. I don't know how to say his name really, but you get the point. Um, Joe came in tenth in this past race. I don't. I forget where Valtteri Bottas came in, but. Yeah, they they've done very well. I think I mean Botas is really really good. <laughs> if you guys you know don't really watch Formula One, like he's he's definitely a name that is pretty much always up there in the pack. Like if, if you told me that 
Botas was going to go to the worst team in Formula One, which right now is Williams. If you're going to, if you told me he was going to go there, I'd tell you that he was, he'd probably do better than most of the kind of lower end guys on the, on the other lower end teams, because he's, you put him in any car and he's going to do well, in my opinion. He, I mean, he used to race for Mercedes back when Lewis Hamilton and him were, um, were, were teammates at Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton had all that great success. He was kind of the guy that was, right there next to, to Lewis Hamilton, you know, throughout all of his, his success, obviously Lewis Hamilton had, had other teammates such as Nico Hulkenberg. And uh, I think there was one more in the mix there. And then, you know, throughout his like eight or nine year tenure of just winning drivers championships, but yeah. So I think that, you know, Alfa Romeo is definitely a, um, a team that's, that surprised me this year. There, ha- there hasn't really been many other teams that, are surprising in, in terms of just looking at the rankings right now. Um, again, you know, Alpine and, and Aston Martin, Aston Martin's another team that I guess you could kind of say they they've got who they've got Sebastian Vettel and is it Lance Stroll. Uh, Lance Stroll. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So Lance, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I actually, one thing about Lance Stroll that I didn't like this. We actually wait. Okay. So I think, I think Zoe came in or, show or whatever however you pronounce it i think he came in ninth and then in 10th was lance stroll and you know what's crazy is lance stroll and and uh what's his name latifi they're both from canada and so in the espn racing pick'em which matt and i do with our dad we kind of have like a two entries actually we have it with a lot of our family but we originally made it with our dad and we're kind of in a little group and we compete to see who picks the right things on racing day, you know, each, each Sunday that there's a race, but yeah. So we, we do this racing pick them on, on ESPN. And if you're F one fan, you should definitely do it if you're not already doing it. But, uh, but one of the, one of the picks this week was, will we see land any of either, either of the Canadian natives, I guess it was score. Yeah. Score points. points. Yeah. Score points at their home track, basically. And if you scoring points is coming in, uh, 10th or better and I was like no probably not I mean you know Lance I think Lance Stroll started like I don't know it was probably like 15th in this race and then and then Latifi was down in like 19th 18th or 19th so I was like oh yeah I mean you know they're neither of them are going to score points well yeah it ended up Lance Stroll ended up coming he was in like 13th on lap 60 or something like that there was I think 70 71 laps I think there, yeah there's 70 laps and all of a sudden he's in 10th on with like two laps to go. And I'm like, Oh dude, that this sucks. Cause I picked both of them to not score points. And so, yeah, uh, Lance Stroll ended up, you know, kind of screwing me over this, this past weekend, but it's okay. I'll, I'll forgive him. So Alfa Romeo is my pick for, <laughs> for uh, a team that is surprised this, this year, Matt, do you have any teams that have surprised this year other than Alfa Romeo? No, I think I think that was pretty much going to be mine. I think obviously Haas a little bit because we kind of have to mention them. They've sucked the last three years. They've been the bottom of the pack. Um, but that was kind of their goal going into the season was like, hey, we're going to we're going to compete. Right. We, we, we got the new regulations. We're going to you know, we're going to do our best. Um, and they have they've I think they're ninth out of 10th. Right. But or out of 10 teams, but they score points. And that's really, I think, all that matters. Obviously, getting Kevin Magnuson was really clutch because he he actually used to drive for McLaren, but that was like, you know, almost five years ago at this point. He was at a Formula One for however long. Um, they had Nikita Mazepin last year, who was absolutely terrible. One of those guys that's just like his dad's a billionaire. And so he got into Formula One just because of, because of nepotism and money, basically. Um, but Kevin Magnuson has deserved the drive there, and he's the one who scored all the points for that. Mick Schumacher has had a lot of unlucky results, and he, he'll eventually get his shine he hasn't scored any points yet in his f1 career despite being there for i think two two years now maybe in three it might be third year i think it's his third year um but obviously only one of those years aka this year uh is is the is the opportunity for him to actually be able to score points because they've been absolutely horrible um the the, the last two years before this but the, the kind of the thing is it's like they got to get this under control a little bit because as you saw the qualifying results were really crazy this this race you know in in, in canada the, the cost cars qualified fifth and sixth and 
none of them scored points. They actually both didn't even finish the race. Or no, I think Kevin Magnuson was like the last qualified finish. He like finished in last. And then Mick Schumacher obviously had to, he had like a, like he like went off the track or something and just like his engine died or something. He couldn't even finish the race. Um, and it's like, you got to take advantage of those opportunities, dude. But they at least have like scored a point, which is hard to say, or, or should be kind of a bad thing um, when you're talking about, you know, trying to compete in the, you know, in the, in the most, in the biggest racing league in the entire world, but Hey, you know what? It's fine. Uh, but I think Hayden's spot on. I think Alfa Romeo is, 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 is kind of building on their success or what they wanted to have um, after last year. And I think kind of the driver change up is, is what's helping them. Hayden mentioned like Botas is, is, he's, he's great. I mean, he, he, he's used to being in such a good car and, and obviously, you know, we, we see sometimes the guys who are in good cars, they kind of get to bad cars and they don't do well at all. Yeah. This was kind of the opposite though. They, you know, he actually mm-hmm. was there, he, you know, he, he, he was driving the great car and now he's kind of just, you know, he's, he's helping a, a middling team do really well and outperform their expectations. So um, yeah. So those are, those are kind of my thoughts on F1. And, and I think that pretty much wraps up this topic. Alrighty. Well, with that being said, let's move into MLB here. So I'm going to introduce this topic because I'm going to hand it over to Matt and that's pretty much going to be the topic for you there. So finally, let's get an update on the MLB season so far. Some big takeaways so far, including low scoring, uh, stars not showing up, and the goal question of tanking, which Matt will probably explain here, is much different in baseball rather than, you know, as opposed to, I guess, NBA, NF, there's not really much tanking in NF. I mean, I guess you could say that there is with, you know, the Lions and Jacksonville, but they've been tanking for years. And so it's not really tanking if you just keep on doing it and it happens over and over every season. But NBA would definitely be the best, most common perception of tanking that, that we have across sports right now. But in the MLB, it's it's a lot different, which Matt will explain. So we can kind of also hit on some teams that are doing well so far and some teams that uh, can, you know, can kind of make a run in these coming seven months. Matt already mentioned the New York Yankees and the uh, New York Mets, both, they both have like the most, uh, most amount of wins right in the, in, in, in the MLB so far. They were the first to get to 40 wins. Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. So that, yeah. That okay, well, that basically explains that. I'm gonna head over to Matt now because I suck in MLB. So, <laughs> okay, a couple things here. I'm gonna go quick because we're almost at the end. Um, there, there's no scoring in baseball, guys. What are we doing? Why are we no, come on? Okay, we got to make the game more entertaining. Your people are out here, your fans want the score. You got to make it entertaining. That's what people say. All right, I like I'm going to a baseball game. Actually, Hayden's coming to a, come in with us too. I'm going to a baseball game with my wife on Friday. And we're going because we enjoy going to the game because it's, a, it's actually, it's called the Richmond flying yeah. squirrels. It's a great time. They, they do a lot of, you know, they do a lot of, a lot of vendorship. They do a lot of, you know, fun stuff. They give out free shirts. They, they do stuff to make the experience fun because it's fun to be at a baseball game. And that's what any of your casual fans are going to be like. I love going to a baseball game because you get your hot dog, you do your thing. You know, you, you, you see a, a couple hits. You don't really know what's going on, but it's still fun to be there. Okay. But if we're talking about professional baseball and, 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 you know, trying to create entertainment value with your fans, we're going to be watching on a daily basis. This is not the way to do it. They introduced the pitch clock, which is essentially, you know, same as a shot clock or a play clock, play clock, which basically reduces the amount of time or gives you a limit on the amount of time that you have to pitch the ball. Okay, cool. That's supposed to shorten the game. Great. Well, it didn't do that because what happened was, you know, you have all this other situations and commercials and, and, you know, and breaks and guys coming out to the, coming out to the, to the pitcher line, the guy and, and the batters are even worse now because they're the ones who are twirling their bats around. They're switching off their gloves. Every time they, every time they take a pitch, they haven't even swung the bat yet. And they're like, okay, wait, I gotta, I gotta take my shoes off and then replace them with some other thing. I gotta take my gloves off too. So there's all this stuff going on behind the scenes in between every single pitch and it doesn't even make it worth it. Right. So I think that's kind of the idea here is like, we got to make it, a little bit more entertaining. And I mean, let's face it. What do people want to see? They want to see scoring because that's what the average fan would want to do. If you're going to watch a baseball game on TV, you can't have these games that are literally, I mean, if you look at any given box score in any baseball game, yeah, sure. Sometimes, you know, I I would say half the games on a daily basis are good, you know, the, you know, scoring a, a, you know, good, a good amount of runs, whatever. But the other half the games, you look at the box score, it's like, this, you know, one team scores one run on the top of the second, and then you have six innings where there's literally zero runs for both teams. And it's like, 
that is not entertaining. A, exactly. it's not entertaining to be there and watch it because what are you witnessing besides like, okay, just another strikeout and then, oh, this guy hit a ball, but it's not even close to being a home run or anything like that. Um, and you get very few home runs to begin with now. But anyway, um, yeah. And, and so there's just no scoring. And I think that that's, it's, I mean, it's actually kind of interesting because I think one of the biggest reasons for that, and it's, I don't know. And that's the thing is like, I'm kind of coming down on the MLB here. I don't know if it's anything that they can fix, but the biggest reason that the pitchers are actually too good. Seriously. Like the way these guys are throwing the ball, the spin they're getting on the ball, the revolutions, the speed that, you know, I mean, these guys are hitting like 105 mile an hour pitches. It's impossible to hit these pitches, man. I mean, seriously. And that's, the biggest reason I think is like, if you're a batter in the MLB, good luck, dude, because you're not going to be hitting these pitches. The, the, you know, the, the pitchers, I mean, they're all like, you know, six, five now their arms are like half the length of the, you know, from, from the pitcher's mound to the home plate. Um, And so you're like, there's no, you don't have any chance to, to hit these pitches. And so it's almost this like weird situation where like defense is, is, is getting so much better than offense to the point where it's, draining the entertainment value even more than it was when we still had a bunch of home runs and a bunch of runs being scored because it was like okay well at least you can see the scoring right baseball might not have many you know huge stars or whatever but you at least can watch you know a guy crack a home run here and there or or you know you can watch some guys run around the bases and and, and score some runs but like if you're not able to hit any of the pitches, you're not going to have any scoring. And so that's how you get these, you know, these runs of six or seven innings with, with just no scores from either sides because the pitchers are just absolutely great. And on top of that, the game has switched obviously analytically to kind of focusing on the analytics, which essentially say that having more pitchers means that like more pitchers playing in each game means that you can kind of save them and, and they can kind of get more rest quote unquote, um, and be able to play more often, but for less amounts of time. And so what you end up with is all the pitchers that are pitching in a game are essentially, you know, a hundred percent, right. Whereas you normally like, you know, even five years ago at this point, you would have one pitcher who pitched like six or seven innings, basically the, the, the entire game. And they wouldn't be able to go for another like week because their arm is sore They're you know, they're, they're, you know, they're, rehabbing whatever it may be but you kind of end up in that situation where like near the end of their stint in the fifth or sixth or seventh inning a lot of their pitches are you know they're getting tired so it's easy to hit you get a lot of runs scored it can be you know a game changer we're switching pitchers up in there but now you get a new pitcher every couple innings and the guy is on top of his game not to mention you know the athletes as a whole have just gotten better um but with the analytics it's almost like it's lending itself to the defense being better than the offense and so i think that's kind of the biggest problem here with the mlb and, and I don't really, again, I don't really know how you solve that because if you're, if you're an MLB team, you want the best pitchers because you want to win the, you know, you want to win the games. That doesn't, that doesn't make the games more, you know, more, well, it makes the games less entertaining and that's, you know, bad for viewership, but who cares? Cause if you're the MLB team, you want to win the game, you want to win the championship. So that's the goal. Right. But, um, but yeah, we will see Hayden mentioned the Mets and the Yankees are, are both, you know, they're, they're both doing very well this season so far. Um, and so that'll be really cool. If they end up kind of going, going deeper into the playoffs here. Obviously, in the AL and the NL, you have the Dodgers who have been, you know, essentially favorites to win the, the uh, you know, the, the World Series for the last like five years now. They won it in 2020 in the, in the COVID year. So they actually got that, you know, got the monkey off their back, traded a couple of players away this season, got some more back in return. They're going to be good. Right. They're, they're, they just are. Um, and their division, though, is really good because you got the Padres in there, you got the Rockies. It's a lot of great teams um, in, in that division. It's almost like football where you kind of have like, you know, if you have a really great division, you know, one team is going to up in the wild card and you kind of, you know, it, it kind of sucks for the team that does because they're going to be much better than even, a, you know, potentially, uh, you know, a, a division winning team uh, who earns a, a home playoff spot and doesn't have to play in the wild card or anything. That's another thing. And this is what I'm going to close on. What are we doing with the playoffs? Obviously, we'll get to there when we come to it, but like 162 games in the regular season and you play one wild card game to decide who gets in the playoffs as the wild card. Like, what? Are, what? What type of rule is that? I understand the game, you know, the series are, are seven games. Okay, cool. But like one wild card game after playing 162 games, like what are we doing? We play one wild card game in football and you only play 17 games, 162 games in your entire season comes down to one game. Um, it's, it's, it's crazy. But either way, I think obviously, like I say, sorry, Dodgers, they're going to be good. The Braves went on a 14 game winning streak. They just got that snapped um, reigning world series champs. They're going to be back because obviously they didn't even have Ronald Acuna Jr., their best player for the entire playoffs or actually back half of last season and all the playoffs last year. 
And so, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be, I think, you know, probably one of the, you know, uh, kind of a, obviously they're, they're, they're going to try to repeat, but I think that, you know, going to go a little bit under the radar here uh, as, as the season goes on, but that is all that I will uh, go on about with the MLB. I think they, I, I don't know, I, they're going to need to do something or maybe just, I don't know, because it's, the other thing too is like, they're they're the best part of their season is the playoffs. And that's in October and November when like, that's the middle of the NFL season and nobody cares about baseball. And it's just like, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a never ending domino uh, snowball effect avalanche effect, you know, just into nothingness for baseball. And I kind of feel bad, but we will continue over the summer. Obviously we're going to have our NCAA series and all that. We will continue to talk about baseball. I'm here for the baseball people. Um, we'll, we'll get a little bit more in depth maybe next time. Cause I got to do a little bit more research. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the outline of, of where we're at right now. Why the scoring is so low. It's just not, inter- it's not entertaining. So yeah, that's baseball. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what they can do to make it more entertaining. Every three pitches, if there's not, any excitement, any kind of hit or anything like that. You just have the pitcher throw it underhand and like throw like a 30 mile an hour ball. And then, yeah. And just have the header just like go off on it and just smack it. At the, honestly, dude, that would be, again, that would, you know, it would kind of defeat the whole purpose of baseball, but that would be fun to watch. Like it, again, it's, it's not all about entertainment and we've kind of, we've had this discussion on the podcast before about entertainment value versus competitive value and stuff like that. And it's very hard to not distinguish between the two, but it's very hard to kind of determine which has more value because sometimes competitive value is more important and sometimes entertainment value is more important. It kind of just depends. Nowadays, entertainment value is very much so in the minds of pretty much every sports organization out there. So (laughs) I don't know. We could see we could see something crazy happen with with MLB or baseball in general, I guess, in the, in, in the, in the coming future, I don't think it'll happen very soon, but people and MLB high up people definitely know that entertainment value has gone down and just will keep on going down basically, but they're still getting their money. So it, at the end of the day, I mean, rich guys getting their money, they're not gonna, they're not gonna want to change much. So there it is. But uh, yeah, that's about it for today's episode. I was going to say something uh, something more about golf, the whole golf thing, but I'm sure I'm going to get to that in the future. It's kind of just a discuss, kind of adding on to the discussion of Scott, Scotty Sheffer, but I won't add that in this episode. I'll save it for a future episode where we talk about Scotty Scheffler golf in general, I guess, but mainly about Scotty Scheffler because of the amount of money he's won so far. But yeah, I'm going to save that for a later episode just because I want it to be kind of fresh and, and, in the mix and, you know, kind of in the actual topic of, of when we're talking about golf rather than right at the end of the episode when not many people are listening. So with that being said, if you're still listening to this, we love you and thanks for listening all the way through. You're a beast, but yeah, we're going to sign off for today. Expect an episode from us this weekend. We will try our best to get it done because yeah, we didn't get one out this last week this past weekend. And honestly, yeah, we might be, well, I mean, we, I guess we could have a finished Stanley cup, but if we do one on like Saturday or Sunday, I think, so I think game five of the Stanley cup finals will probably be on Friday. Cause the next, cause game four, I think is tomorrow unless they do like a, cause they're transitioning back to Colorado for game five. So unless they do like a three game or a three day stretch instead of a two day stretch for that game, I don't know, something like that. But We'll probably have game five of the of the Stanley Cup finals done by the time we do our next podcast. So we'll have those two more <laughs> those two more games left to go. And then, yeah, we're going to we're going to be lit for for the weekend. So I'm just babbling on here. I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to go ahead and end it. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you guys for listening. We love you guys and we'll catch you on Saturday, Friday, Sunday, one of those days. 